Hi, I'm Jacqueline Kinser, and for the past five years, I've been helping families all around the globe to overcome their breastfeeding challenges. And this is the first non-clinical breastfeeding podcast that shows you how to rock breastfeeding and master motherhood through practical tips, mindset shifts, and honest conversation to create a confident and empowering breastfeeding journey. This is the Breastfeeding Talk Podcast. Hello, and welcome back to the Breastfeeding Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Jacqueline Kinser, and I am honored to bring you a special guest today. Her name is Dr. Shireen Lim, and she is a Perth-based dentist with a postgraduate diploma in dental sleep medicine from the University of Western Australia. She's been involved in the team management of snoring and obstructive sleep apnea for over a decade. Dr. Lim is dedicated to promoting airway health from infancy as an alternative approach to minimize the development of these problems, and she is the author of the book, Breathe, Sleep, Thrive, Discover How Airway Health Can Unlock Your Child's Greater Health, Learning, and Potential. Her work in private practice is restricted to tongue tie management from infancy to adulthood, early interceptive orthodontics, and myofunctional therapy. And we are talking about all of those amazing things today. And I have to thank Dr. Lim for being really patient with me. Originally, when she reached out, uh, letting me know about her book, I was so grateful to see that she had contributed this work to our field and really just putting out great information that's in, in my mind, a fairly easy to consume format. One of the best books that I've really read on this topic that's easy for a non-medical professional to read and understand. So hats off to her. Um, but also, uh, I had, you know, said, well, I would love to have you on the podcast and interview you about everything that you know, which is so much, and and chat about the book a bit too, because there's a lot that's inside there that's really worth jo- talking about outside of the book. And we've rescheduled our interview so many times. It finally worked out. And I've got to say that trying to balance uh, time zones in the U.S. versus Australia can prove to be quite difficult. So it just so happens that we were able to set up a time fairly last minute that worked for both of us. And she is just wonderful. If you're in Australia, um, you have many great providers there, one of them being Dr. Lim. So um, if you're at all looking for some solutions related to oral ties or oral dysfunction, um, you have an infant, maybe yourself, an older child, she's an excellent resource. I know it's a, a very large country. So um, if you're ever looking for anyone else in Australia, feel free to reach out to us. Um, sometimes there's colleagues that we can connect you to, but a Google search might do just as well. So I'd love for you to grab a cup of water, grab some tea, a coffee, and get ready to listen to all the wonderful things that Dr. Lim has to share with us about oral ties, about breathing, sleep, and development throughout the lifespan. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Lim. I'm so excited to chat to you today about your new book and what you do in your work and all things airway and oral restrictions and, oh my goodness, some of my favorite topics. Uh, So I appreciate you being here and I would just love for you to tell the audience a little bit more about your background and what you're currently doing. Fantastic. Um, Really great to be here as well, Jacqueline. So with uh, my background, I am a general dentist from Perth in Western Australia. And I first got in- interested in airway because of my husband's snoring. So about 12, 13 years ago, uh, it was really frustrating me. And I decided I was going to learn more about these dental sleep appliances and how they could help adults with snoring. And I was, became one of Australia's first dentists to obtain a qualification in dental sleep medicine. And so I then was involved in treating and managing obstructive sleep apnea with these dental devices. Oh. Yes, I love that. Sleepy, snoring husbands, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. So then, then really understanding, oh, it's not just a noise. This is a severe health problem uh, with obstructive sleep apnea. It's linked to very poor quality of life with common symptoms like depression, anxiety, uh, brain fog, memory concerns, and a lot of increased health risk across the lifespan. And I wanted to know how come we don't develop the jaws properly in the first place? Why are we giving these people solutions to to hold their jaw forward during sleep we're taught in dental school we can actually intervene earlier to modify facial growth and so that's when I decided I was going to learn more about orthodontic treatment 
having young children, I didn't really want them to go down that path of crowded teeth and tooth extractions. And so learning more about that and then coming across Dr. Christian Gimeno, his work on palate expansion to improve sleep apnea really inspired me to go down that path to learn expansion. I told him about this and he said, look, if you're doing palate expansion, you're too late. Um, Really, I had no idea what he was talking about at that time, but he was trying to say that the jaw grows most rapidly in the first six years of life. And if we understand that form follows function, we really need to space pay special attention to how the muscles are working during sucking, swallowing, and breathing. And so that's how I really became involved with advocating for breastfeeding, the mechanical benefits of it, and getting involved with tongue tie release from infancy through to adulthood because uh, this is a common barrier for people to continue breastfeeding. People are often told with the pain and poor, they've got poor supply and no one's really looking at these tongue ties. So that's how come I got involved with things like uh, tongue tie release and myofunctional therapy and early interceptive orthodontics. Oh, yes, I love it. You know, it's all also connected. And, uh, you know, to your point about, you know, the the benefits of breastfeeding in terms of the mechanics and the jaw growth. I think so often people think of the benefits of breastfeeding as being about the breast milk. So maybe we could just dive in and, and you tell us about that because, um, you know, it's one of those really overlooked things. And I remember years ago, uh, there was a discussion with a group of lactation consultants that I was having and are a part of, and they were saying that, uh, they had attended a conference, one of them, and um, the person who was speaking, um, you know, had educated on this, um, that I'm going to have you chat about um, those, you know, airway and jaw growth um, benefits of breastfeeding. And then, of course, we know the benefits of breast milk as lactation consultants. And they asked the audience, if you could only have one or the other, which would you choose? Um, being able to, like, nurse the baby at the breast and get those benefits, but there's no milk, or never being able to nurse the baby at the breast and give them the milk. And it's like, ooh, when you know that both things really matter, that's a tough question to answer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, I, I think parents just don't, they, they miss that, right? And there's this whole idea of, you know, well, if you can't breastfeed, you know, formula is fine, but formula doesn't just mean formula, it means uh, bottles as well, right? So um, it's not that bottles are evil or bad, but yeah, I'll let you maybe just tell us those mechanics of breastfeeding and what they do for the jaw and airway. Yeah, well, in contrast to bottle feeding, breastfeeding is a really powerful oral workout. It really uh, is good exercise for the tongue, the throat muscles, as well as the jaw muscles. So for good, efficient transfer of milk from the breast, it actually requires tongue suction. The entire tongue needs to elevate to the roof of the mouth, and it compresses that very uh, malleable uh, breast tissue, and that sculpts the palate. So It's called, breastfeeding is often referred to as nature's palate expander because of the way that it is shaping that palate broadly. And that's really important because that palate is really the the floor of the nasal passages as well as the housing for the tongue. But in addition, all the movements required of the tongue, it it really involves a lot of um, jaw, back and forth jaw action as well. So it really is the number one modifiable factor in the first year of life as to how well that jaw is going to grow, the lower jaw. And that our jaw structures grow the most rapidly in the first year of life. And so that's why whether we breastfeed or bottle feed, uh, that's going to have quite a big determinant on how that jaw is growing. So breastfeeding tends to develop the jaws broadly and more forward. And as the jaws grow more forward and wide, so does the airway. Yeah, I mean... That's such an excellent summary because, uh, yeah, the mechanics are very different. And, you know, just to contrast that with bottle feeding, where it's less is required of the tongue, right? There's this um, suction that's happening, less of a pressure that's created within the oral cavity. Um, So, you know, it's bottle feeding's not going to ruin your child. You know, we don't want to say that. I mean, it's a a necessary thing a lot of the time. Um, But I think, you know, even just some education on those mechanics and why certain bottles and bottle nipples would be better than others is really important. Um, You're a dentist, so I'm sure this has come up a lot for you as well, even before you um, kind of get deeper into the airway things and whatnot. But 
pacifiers. <laughs> like, what about those? Because, you know, there's just such a, you know, I, I don't know exactly the climate in Australia where you are, but, you know, here in the US, there's these, you know, quote unquote, orthodontic pacifiers, which I always sort of laugh at because, you know, I'm pretty sure, you know, orthodontists would love if you used a pacifier because it makes them more money. But like, <laughs> how, what, what can you say about pacifiers and that growth as well? Stay with us. We'll be right back. The heart behind the I'm on podcast is storytelling because every mom has a story to tell. I know that when I talk to my friends who are parenting and we share stories, we all end up feeling less alone and more capable of loving our kids well. You can find information everywhere on the internet. Some is bad parenting advice and some is pretty wise. We like to think there's a lot of wisdom on imom.com. And when you combine that signature wisdom with a great story, it brings parenting to life. We want a mom who's listening to see herself and her kids in these stories and rest in the confidence that she is the perfect mom for her kids. Check out the iMom podcast with new episodes every Monday. Yeah, so pacifiers, well, if we really want that tongue up, that tongue elevation and suction to the, the palate, that pacifier is going to interfere with that normal tongue posture. Mm-hmm. And in addition, it's going to in increase inward sucking pressures, which are going to distort the palate. And the, if we recognize that that palate is most moldable in that first year of life, it will have an impact. And even as a dentist, it's not something that I recognized when my own child was young, like my eldest child. Uh, so it is really important to recognize that it does alter the tongue posture and it does create persistent dysfunction or alters the sucking, the swallowing pattern as well, which is obviously linked to increased risk of um, eustachian tube dysfunction and ear infections and many other problems down the track. However, it's all related to the intensity, frequency and duration of use. So the impacts will depend on how often uh, a child is using it. If we can actually minimize the use, um, soothe and remove where possible, that's great. But a lot of parents think, oh, they only use it for during sleep. The problem being that children spend so much time during sleep. And so it's important that we promote that mechanical, uh, the, yeah, what's actually happening with that dummy use as well, or pacifier use. It's not just about the teeth uh, to really recognize it influences facial development. Oh, yeah, that's that's such a good point to say, you know, they only use during sleep. Yeah, babies do sleep a lot so now that you mm-hmm. mentioned it. <laughs> Oh gosh, which, you know, I don't want to like jump ahead in the, in the lifespan timeline necessarily, but you know, there's, um, you know, I've seen those videos going around, right. Somebody takes a picture of the, the baby's asleep and they're snoring and oh, how cute. And I'm like, no, snoring is, is not cute. Um, unfortunately, you know, if it's, if it's your bulldog, you know, we expect that to happen, but (laughs) Um, you, you mentioned that kind of in the beginning, um, in terms of snoring. And I think one of the things that you do really well in your book is, is define and really describe these various airway issues and impacts. But I think when people think of snoring, they think of it as sawing logs as this, you know, this very loud sound, but that's not always the case. Like maybe you could tell us a bit more about snoring and, and how it's caused. Why does it happen? Yeah, for sure. Because um, when when I started getting involved with these dental sleep appliances, there's so much focus on obstructive sleep apnea. Uh, but what we don't recognize is that's a very end stage problem. It it really does uh, not often play out till the later decades in life. And snoring can be our very first warning sign of problems ahead. So snoring is really the sound made by the vibration of air. It, it, it signals that there is some sort of restriction of airflow. There's some sort of narrowing, and this is where problems begin. Um, so it, it is really important that we don't overlook that snoring because there are so many risks associated with it, especially during childhood, uh, because children are very vulnerable to very disturbed breathing um, and that sleep fragmentation that it can cause. So there are increased risk of learning and behavioral ch- problems uh, at, if there is snoring at a very young age. So, yeah, I think it's the, one of the earliest warning signs of problems ahead. It will tend to progressively get worse as we get older if we don't address it. 
Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and there's a spectrum, right, of, you know, snoring and then, like you're saying, obstructive sleep apnea, which mm-hmm. you do a really good job of describing some of the limitations of even like diagnosis and, and testing for it and things of that nature. I think people think, oh, sleep apnea, bad, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, oh, I have to use a CPAP or what have you. Like, maybe you could point out some of the issues with the sleep studies and and getting to that point of recognizing that someone has obstructive sleep apnea and some of those consequences as well, because it's not just disturbed sleep. Like there's so much going on in the body when we sleep as well. Yeah. So the, the progression from snoring to obstructive sleep apnea. Well, the problem with obstructive sleep apnea is it, it is really uh, a very arbitrarily defined um, so to get a diagnosis of obstructive sleep apnea, you have to have a sleep study and it has to show, for instance, in an adult, you have to stop breathing for 10 seconds or more at least five times per hour of sleep. So it's quite a, a high criteria. For instance, if you stop breathing for nine seconds, it's not really counted. Um, and so... Wow. It's by the numbers. And oftentimes I know in the US to get treated for these problems, you have to meet that criteria to get it covered by uh, insurance. But it's very much like diabetes. There's pre-diabetes. We don't really want to be in that state either because, for instance, before sleep apnea, we might have more upper airway resistance syndrome, which has very similar symptoms. And it similarly fragments sleep, disturbs sleep, and creates chronic stress and inflammation. So there's a lot of health risk associated with it. But it doesn't meet that criteria because what's actually happening is uh, there's a stress response in in reaction to any airflow limitation. And so the sympathetic nervous system is really more hyperactive uh, and it it's every anytime there's a restriction in airflow, there's an arousal from sleep and uh, the muscles are recruited sometimes with teeth grinding to open up the airway so it protects against those more severe collapses. You know, children may be working harder to breathe, tossing, turning, sweating, and really it it, it protects against um, more severe collapses of the airway, but there's no oxygen deprivation, but it's totally fragmented sleep. We don't get into that deeper sleep. And this problem may play out more in children, thinner individuals, premenopausal women, and the, therefore these people may get underdiagnosed because they don't meet that criteria for obstructive sleep apnea. And so I think it's really important to recognize that the problems begin when mouth breathing starts. We want to promote nasal breathing. If we can promote nasal breathing uh, from infancy, it will definitely help stave off those breathing issues down the track. And when we have nasal breathing during infancy, this is the best muscle stimulus for good forward and wide jaw development. Yeah. And, and babies are supposed to be obligate nose breathers, right? That's what we're born to do is breathe through our nasal passages, but somewhere along the way, um, you know, something is interfering and, you know, their body is saying, well, I can get more air through the mouth. And so I will make that, um, kind of something. And, um, you know, I've, I forget who in the airway space kind of said this, um, but, you know, there's structural things that create behaviors, but then once the behaviors are created, um, we can correct the structure, but there's the, the behavior that still has to be addressed. Right. So like, I guess what I'm trying to say is that, you know, you can just say, okay, well, I'm going to release my tongue tie and fix my mouth breathing because I do that. And that's bad for me. And I'm learning all this stuff great. But if you're not used to keeping your mouth closed and breathing through it, you know, like anybody who's ever had a head cold, I think could probably relate to this, right? You're forced mm-hmm. to breathe through your mouth. Your your nasal passages are plugged up despite your best efforts. Even when you feel better, you might notice yourself still mouth breathing, right? It becomes mm-hmm. a habit. So what are, what are some of those things that like a parent of a baby can look at? Um, are there, are there warning signs, little progressions that, you know, ultimately lead a child to mouth breathe or snore, um, you know, like you said, disrupted sleep could be one, right? I'm thinking of those parents that say, my baby never sleeps more than 30 minutes at a time. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, you know, something's going on. 
So yeah, just some things to look for in infancy that we can recognize. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, we all, uh, many people might be familiar with the sleeping tongue posture hold. Michelle Price Emanuel posted a lot of videos on that. Uh, if we can actually notice that a baby has their mouth open, we can actually try to close their jaw and see if we can seal their lips um, to promote that habit. And we really want to see the tongue resting in the roof of the mouth because when the tongue is sufficiently toned to rest in the roof of the mouth, it is naturally easier to close your mouth. Um, and it's actually easier to breathe through the nose and there's just a smoother airflow uh, because the, that tongue sealing to the roof of the mouth and the soft palate, it, it just blocks off that mouth breathing root. Uh, so I think one of the things that we can look out for is just if there is that habit to really try to reinforce that closed mouth posture. I do find that uh, it's not always easy sometimes. Uh, some children have these allergies and nasal congestion. So we can definitely use the nasal sprays, the saline rinses. They're non-medicated just to help clear the nasal passages. Um, the other thing that I'm really interested in is Tasha Terzin's work uh, with the low tongue posture or the low lying tongue because often that can be related to cranial nerve dysfunction from compression um, during the birth uh, of that sort of base of skull neck area. It can impinge nerves that are involved with sucking, swallowing, breathing, as well as the motor nerve of the tongue. And so some of the, our body workers or chiropractors and osteos, they can release that area to allow greater mobility of the tongue. And so that can be helpful to get that tongue lifting better towards getting that tongue to palate seal. But I also do think a lot of babies are born with a narrow high arch palate. And this is usually a reflection of altered sucking and swallowing in utero. So that, that tongue hasn't been able to stimulate proper de development. And sometimes it can be related to tongue ties uh, or even prematurity. So this is a structural problem where we have a narrow nasal passage that can contribute to these issues and play out as a child gets older. So I do think when parents see this, sometimes that structural limitation can be very difficult to manage until a child is, say, three or four years old. There's more and more dentists that are involved with expanding or widening those palates. So being able to recognize this is a risk factor. We can't do anything right now, but you don't have to wait till a child is 12. Uh, mm. You might be able to see these dentists and help with that because it will help significantly improve nasal airflow if we can widen that palate. Right. Oh, that's such a good point. And, you know, there's so many um, issues that can come up in those early childhood years, whether, um, you know, if there's this cycle of, of, you know, not getting enough sleep and um, having a difficulty, you know, academically and maintaining focus and even hyperactivity. And, you know, we're seeing like these, the way these things play out, picky eaters or, um, <laughs> you know, a number, a number of things that, that can be consequences. And it's so great that, you know, there are more and more dentists like yourself learning how to treat these issues earlier. Um, but yeah, like, like you're saying, it's that tricky age where, you know, I, every now and again, there's a parent, you know, well, my kid is, you know, almost two and, you know, what can I do? Um, well, you know, there's limitations there, right? Uh, probably we're not going to do a ton of oral exercises. They have to be like a kind of willing participant, if you will, to do myofunctional therapy or, you know, it could be hard to do some of those more dentistry things. But uh, it made, made me think about something you touched on in your book, which was chewing, Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we have a baby that is drinking just a purely liquid diet in the beginning, but then they advance to solid foods. And I think that's like you're talking about it's these patterns of things that we do all the time. So we can keep the mouth closed and breathe through the nose, but chewing is really important. And yeah, I'd love to get your take on that and and kind of what are the things that really help to optimize jaw growth foods, um, you know, ways of, ways of eating, ways of drinking things that are helpful. Yeah, for sure. So when we chew and utilize all those jaw muscles fully, uh, that stimulates really good jaw development. And in fact, uh, one of the reasons that's been proposed for the increase of crooked teeth over the last few hundred years is industrialization and the, the more processing of foods and the purees that we're offering uh, children as well, which are not really allowing them to actually utilize those jaw muscles. So yes, uh, chewing uh, a lot of 
parents now are interested in baby led weaning. So rather than offering babies purees, skipping straight to the finger foods. So I think that can be a good option to actually uh, stimulate those muscles further and get things working the the way that they're really supposed to. Uh, Also the BB munchie, do you use that at all? It's a Mayo munchie for babies. Yeah, every every now and again, it's something I'll I'll recommend for somebody, but it's probably more popular where you are, I would say, uh, than yeah. it is in the U.S. <laughs> yeah, so I I I I think that's a fantastic uh, tool to offer, to, especially to babies. Like, I I think it's really impactful. I mean, sometimes you have to use it to get it to work. But even just last week, I had a, a two year old last year that I offered one too. And she had a very V-shaped palate and some of her teeth were in crossbite and her face was deviating to one side. So it it was a bit of a facial asymmetry because of the narrowness of the palate, but their parents offered it to her, her parents offered it to her and she used it super well, used it super well. And her whole symmetry is corrected. Her her whole upper teeth are fitting much better Uh over the top teeth. So I think when we have really young children, uh, I'm really convinced of the benefits of this chewing uh, and also correcting that swallow pattern. So when the Maya Munchie goes in uh, and the lips are closed around it, it's impossible to thrust the tongue forward. It disengages all those facial muscles, the the lips and cheek muscles uh, during the swallowing. So by intervening really early and trying to block those patterns, I think that it's very possible to get some nice changes that can minimize the the intervention that is going to be required later on. Mm. Yeah, so so that would be the key for, for chewing, I think, trying to get more hard foods, uh, introduce texture quickly, and then the added benefit of jaw exercise with a tool like Mayo Munchie. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And you've mentioned swallowing a few times, which mm-hmm. I think actually gets overlooked a lot. Um, you know, I'm assessing for that when I work with babies. Uh, I used to do myofunctional therapy with all ages, um, but just found babies were more exciting for me. So because mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, breastfeeding, you get to work with both and just, you know, um, that's my area of passion. But um, I would assess adults for swallow. And it was so crazy to me to see how many of them had really incorrect swallows, really dysfunctional mm-hmm. swallows. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously a baby who's drinking milk, they're doing lots of swallowing. Um, but it also makes me think about babies who drool all the time. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, if I'm out and about and I see somebody with a baby, there, there's, you know, there's always one that's got the drool bib and that's just pouring out. Like these yeah. babies are not swallowing the saliva that is just mm-hmm. pooling in their mouths. But then it's this idea, it's become so normalized, right? Oh, they're teething mm-hmm. or they're just a big drooler. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I feel like you know, they kind of all make the same amount of saliva, just some swallow this and others are not. So yeah, I, I think it's hard sometimes for parents to conceive of, oh, you know, that there's a, there's either a swallow is like a yes or no for, for a lay person, I think, right. You either swallow or you don't, you're choking or you're not, but there's more to it than that. And there's so much going on in the tongue and in the whole oral cavity I'd love for you to walk us through like what's what's a functional swallow, what's what's dysfunction when it comes to swallowing, because I bet you there's someone listening right now that goes that's, you know, thinking to themselves like, oh, do I? Hmm, I don't know. Maybe I don't swallow correctly. You know, how do we know? So the ideal swallow is when we swallow and there's no movement of our facial muscles. Yeah. And and all the activity should look like it's in our throat. And we should look pretty relaxed, like our head shouldn't really bob up and down. Uh, so I think for me, when I'm looking at whether a swallow is functional uh, or it, a little bit altered, is just looking at the facial muscle activity. We don't want to see the lips and cheeks overly purse. And so we do. We see this a lot all the way into adulthood. And because if we use those increased pressures of the lips and cheeks, that is actually going to distort our palate inwards. Uh, over time and it's going to affect the way that their jaw structures grow and yeah I, I do see these problems um, you know play out with ear infections and and the drooling so I think it's really important to recognize that whether we feed a child from the bottle or the the bre- breast it does 
affect the way that they swallow throughout the lifespan. And we really want those throat muscles to be working really well because those throat muscles uh, need to be really well toned during sleep to keep the airway open. And I'm with you. You know, we see uh, these children with dueling and a lot of parents assume it's teething, uh, even if this baby is three months or four months. But yes, it is. I consider dueling to be a myofunctional disorder where the, the tongue is not raising and going backwards um, mm-hmm. to, to swallow. It's going forwards instead. And I do think dueling often goes hand in hand, that all that lower tongue posture goes hand in hand with the babies that really want to mouth. They want to mouth and put everything in oh. their mouth. Yeah, uh, like they need that stimulation. Is that it? Yes, that's correct. Uh, you know, so I do think that it is important that that tongue be sitting in the roof of the mouth um, and and cl- having the mouth closed because there's a lot of sensory receptors uh, or sensory information that gets processed through the mouth. Um, and we know one of the highest areas of uh, concentration of sensory receptors is on the end spot where we say N, uh, and it shouldn't really touch the teeth, and that's where the tongue should be during the swallow. And when the tongue is not there at rest, uh, what happens when the tongue is there at rest? It's involved in neurotransmission. So it sends signals to the brain and the brain releases dopamine and serotonin. And it's very calming. It helps people feel relaxed. And so I do think when we see these children with these open mouth and they're mouthing all the time, uh, they're really trying to, to get that same sensation. It's a compensation, I feel to actually stimulate those receptors and 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 get some of those benefits they're missing out on. Right, right. Yeah. And and I can think of, you know, adults who have like oral habits, right? They um just constantly need to be chewing on a pen or something or, you know, uh biting nails and and that sort of um thing there that, you know, they're like you're saying there's so much sensory um input and activity that's going on there. And um, yeah, everybody who's listening, just, you know, stop. Where's your tongue, right? Yeah. <laughs> is it up against your palate? Is it against your lower teeth? Like I just, it's always a good check-in to do, right? And just mm-hmm. think, oh, okay. And it's, I think it's hard too, because it's just something that's so involuntary for most of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, with, with babies too. So, um, I, I know in your book, you talked about some of the research that had been done on, on children, um, where it showed there were issues later in life that, you know, going back, these could be observed in infancy. So kind of the inverse of that, if we are able to treat infants with correct, you know, oral motor patterns, um, if it's a tongue tie that's holding them back and we're able to correct that, um, what does that trajectory then look like for them throughout the lifespan? You know, because I think a lot of parents sometimes will say, well, you know, uh, I don't know, putting my baby through a procedure that sounds scary and I don't want them to be in pain and I can manage breastfeeding, you know, it's okay. Um, but then oftentimes the thing that ultimately gets them to make that decision is considering, well, but what about later on in life if I don't? And that's all the things we're talking about. So what can we, you know, there's no crystal ball, everybody's different, but what can we reasonably expect if these things are corrected in infancy for going forward in the life? Yeah, I think... Well, one of the things we don't want to do is um, suggest that if we release a tongue tie, it's actually going to prevent future speech issues and future uh, solids and snoring and sleep apnea because not really. Uh, This is if there is altered suck and swallowing even in utero, um, I don't expect that things will be absolutely perfect after we do the release. And sometimes there's a structural problem with the palate that will still need to be addressed. What I'm really trying to do most of the time is improve mobility to to address the current dysfunction with the feeding or those symptoms and the reflux-like symptoms. But what I'm trying to do is trying to get things more back on track so that we can break those patterns early, especially, for instance, like the swallowing uh, if we've been using a dummy or a bottle and we get in something like the BB Munchie and we can break that pattern early, I'm trying to get things more on track. But I know that I'm going to have to follow up children quite often. Do I need to do a little bit of palate expansion? Uh, can I get that back of tongue lifting better? So I think it's not 
always easy. Um, it's not like it's, it's a magic bullet to, to kind of cure all future problems. But we want to get in early where we can uh, to not let these dysfunctions compound because then it becomes more problematic. If a child is a picky eater or they're not chewing and swallowing correctly, uh, that could be a, a red flag that the muscles aren't working well. Uh, so, you know, going in to see the speech uh, and feeding therapist and getting things optimized and working better, if we can correct those patterns early, it just becomes much, much harder to break. Uh, so I think that's the main take-home message from that is just treating early and reversing that quickly, but it's not necessarily going to be a quick fix. There's so many other things that we have to look at when uh, children are growing. We've got to address both the structure and the function along the way. Oh, yes, I, it's so important. You know, I, I I never want a parent especially to think that it's a magic bullet, like mm-hmm. we're just going to get this done all my problems will be fixed. Um, sometimes when it comes to nursing, you know, right after the tongue tie is released, yes, the latch is a lot better. (laughs) That doesn't mean that there's not still work to do. Um, but you know, I, it makes me think of my kids with what you're saying. So my son, I didn't have the luxury of learning about tongue tie with him, but that's why I do what I do now. Mm -hmm. Um, cause I just never, I don't know, I couldn't give up and stop looking for answers. So here I am. But, um, you know, I didn't get his tongue tie corrected, um, when, until he was six years old. Now I realized that he had a tongue tie, gosh, I don't know, sometime closer to him being three years old, but three years old is tough. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, we did, uh, I'm trying to think if we attempted to do anything with the tongue tie, then I think I was trying to do some stuff with him to see if he would be, you know, willing to do it. And it was a no, but we started myofunctional therapy. So we did that, um, and focused on, like you're saying his swallow, um, some speech articulation things, chewing. Those were a lot of the exercises, um, nasal breathing. Right. So we, he, he really, he had sleep apnea. He would, I mean, I, I remember this, we went on a trip, my husband and I, um, you know, we had like, we shared one of the queen beds in the room and then the kids were in the other queen bed. And like, I mean, we would hear him stop breathing and hold his breath and then, you know, and he just was a terrible sleeper. And my husband's like, he totally has sleep apnea. And I'm like, yeah, I'm telling you. <laughs> so we mm-hmm. do this myofunctional therapy. We get huge improvement. He's sleeping better. He's just, you know, all around a better kid and whatever. Finally got his tongue tie released when he was undergoing some other dental work at six years old. He's now 10. Mm-hmm. even at six, his palate was so much better because we had done the myofunctional therapy. We, we used mm-hmm. a myomunchie as well, right? All of that. Um, mm-hmm. We see an airway dentist now, of course, right? Why would mm-hmm. we not? Um, and he's like, he will, I mean, he's like, he might need braces just to kind of straighten out some teeth, but he's not going to need expansion. You know, his, everything looks great. Every teeth are coming great. Can see where they're positioned. The arches are, are nice and broad. And it's like, oh, yes, because we did all that other stuff. So like releasing the tongue tie was sort of the cherry on top that was going to reinforce all of the other work that we did and not keep it from backsliding or or make us have to keep doing that. He doesn't do myofunctional therapy now, you know. Um, But then like with my daughter, I got her tongue, lip and buckle ties treated when she was an infant and Mm -hmm. she still has a super narrow palate. She'll totally need expansion one day. She has Mm -hmm. tiny little nasal passages and she snores at night and it's just what it is. I did more work with her as an infant to correct those patterns and structure than I ever did with my son. So I'm as illustrating that example to people to go, you could do all the quote unquote right things, but you know, there's just some things like you're saying in utero, or maybe it's genetics, right. That we have to just consider other than releasing a tongue tie. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think a, a common misconception from parents is really that if we release a tongue tie, that we can promote better palate development, uh, which in principle, the more we can get that tongue lifting, yes, it will stimulate the palate more wide. Uh, but one of the critical areas that needs to be stimulated is the mid palate suture, the growth center right in the middle of the palate. And sometimes if that has developed too high, uh, it is really hard then for the tongue to create that really good suction and to really yeah. stimulate that development. So yes, I think we mustn't overlook that a child may need to have palate expansion. And there's, that can actually be really key to optimize their uh, breathing for life if we do it early. 
Um, but yes, it, not always is everything going to correct with the with the tongue tie. Uh, sometimes yeah. there's a structural limitation to allow op- that that's a barrier to optimal function. Right. No, I I absolutely agree. And um, you know, I'm curious what you could say about lip ties as well. And usually it's the upper lip that we're talking about, but um, it's still a thing. It is absolutely still a thing where I hear from people and they're like, my baby has a lip tie and I'm going, what about the tongue though? (laughs) So um, there's this conception, I think that, you know, lip ties cause a lot of problems and I'm not saying they don't cause problems, but um, where does that come into play with any of what we're talking about? Yeah, it's quite common that uh, some people, particularly here in uh, where I am, there's a lot of child health nurses that may refer their, their children in for assessment of lip tie. I think it's the most obvious thing. You can see it quite easily. There's a bit of flesh, um, you know, attaching the upper lip to the the, the gum. Um, but we all have that. There's been a research study that has photographed 100 babies in a row, and the majority of them will have some sort of attachment that's quite fleshy. So what we really need to be doing is lifting up the lip and seeing how easily uh, does that upper lip move, how mobile is it. If there's blanching or tension, that's a tie. And, yes, it can impact the latch. It can impact how deep the latch can be um, because if it's too tight, we can't get that nice big mouthful. And if it uh, doesn't allow proper sealing during the latch, we're going to get sucking and swallowing of air. So sometimes it can be very important to release that to allow a better seal. So we're not going to suck and swallow air and have those reflux-like symptoms. And then something I'm looking at more closely now is as as well, how does the lip rest? Because sometimes if that lip uh, sort of doesn't seal down properly, that release or it doesn't close all the way or it's sort of that little inverted look Uh, sometimes when we release it it just allows that to seal or or the lip can sit more long it looks like the upper lip is longer and so I think that may may be another reason I want to just have a look at how is the lip resting and how tight it is Uh, and sometimes yes I think it can be helpful to release Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. I see, I see the same things. And, you know, one of the, um, exercises I would teach people to do with, um, you know, tight lips or, or upper lip ties would be where I would have them stretch their lip to lengthen it. Um, whether it was kind of rolling the lip under the teeth and holding it there or manually pulling out doing various exercises to, uh, release that tension in the muscle and, and create uh, a different shape to it. And it's amazing what that can do for honestly, just making you look less tense and stressed and worn and tired, right? Like uh, these things contribute so much to that. And I think there's, you know, kind of these trendy things about like face yoga and this and that, and I'm Mm. going, it's just myofunctional therapy. (laughs) Right. And it's so important, really important, um, the role of myofunctional therapy. Do you do you have is that something that you teach um patients that you see in your practice, or do you have um therapists that you refer to or include? I'm curious, uh, you know, kind of how you go about doing things in your in your world. Yeah, myofunctional therapy is generally more suitable for children that are age four and up um, to be able to. To, to do. Uh, there's definitely exercises that you can do with younger children, but um, a, a lot of my functional therapists, you know, may be able to work, like for instance, in our own practice, we work more successfully with children that are four and up. And yes, right. I will do that. Every time I'm doing a tongue tie release, it needs to be done in conjunction with my functional therapy because we really need to retrain proper movements of the tongue, proper tone, proper isolation. Uh, and the ultimate goal for me when I do a tongue tie release in an older child uh, is going to be to get that tongue and palate suction. That tongue and palate needs to rest and connect together well for proper breathing. And tongue tie release on its own will not do that. Uh, it is the myofunctional therapy or exercises that will help work towards that. And the tongue tie release is really just the adjunct to improve the mobility and and help that that last missing link to get things working uh, better. So, yes, I think myofunctional therapy is really important. And, in fact, um, even in infants, over the last couple of years, I've worked with a lactation consultant that really does a lot of oral work. Um, She gives a lot of oral exercises to children even before we do the tongue-tie release. And, wow, it's so nice to hear uh, that children can get 
suction improvements before they even do the release. Um, yesterday I saw this mum and I said I wasn't ready to do the release. I think they needed to do a little bit more exercises because the baby was thrusting. Uh, you put the finger in the mouth. She had a totally highly sensitive gag reflex and she kept gumming on my fingers. And we sent her away for two weeks where she just did it so religiously. Um, and baby was so much more comfortable with me in the mouth, um, was able to touch her tongue. She's not thrusting all the time. And I just know that if what we're really trying to do is get better tongue suction, better lift, better latch, we, we really need to set it up well so the baby's not going to be gagging and they're going to be able to move their tongue better. They, they've already got an idea of what to do so that we can get a more optimal result. Yeah, I'm really, really glad that you mentioned that. And I'm so glad that you have someone there that does that because that's to me the most important piece of work that I ever do with clients and that that anybody that um you know sees clients on my team is those oral exercises. Um, because you know, all the other stuff for for us is easy. The milk supply, the the, you know, the the positioning, the latching, like the, you know, mastitis, clogged ducts, whatever. Like we we've got all that down pat. It's the oral exercises because um, like you're saying, we kind of want to deliver this baby to you as the dentist on a silver platter, meaning that it's easy for you to lift up the tongue because there isn't all of this tension there, or the tongue isn't weak and shaky because it hasn't, you know, gotten some good training and like that thrusting. And, you know, I tell parents like, you've got to do some, you know, they're always individualized depending on what the baby needs. But to your point about the gag reflex, right? If we don't desensitize that and the baby, you know, they get their tongue and lip tie release, they're able to open wider, they're able to get more breast tissue in the mouth. What happens when the breast actually touches the palate and they gag? They're not They're going to instantly go back to a shallow latch because they can't tolerate a deep latch. So we've got to do things ahead of time. And that's uh, a piece that we need more folks like you that reinforce that, right? To say, I need this baby to do more work. You know, some babies are going to need that tie release sooner than others, but like you're saying, if there's time to go back and do these exercises and create those patterns ahead of time. And I've absolutely seen cases where, you know, those oral exercises are not a replacement for, for doing a phrenectomy at all, but you can sometimes get enough improvement that you're going, well, I don't know that we would get some significantly greater amount of improvement just because we released this frenum. You know, if your symptoms are resolved and things are going okay, let's see how it goes. You know, let's check back in in a month or two. And, you know, maybe this is just something that you keep in your back pocket for later when your child's a bit older, right? Like, let's not just go release ties because they're there. And I think you take that approach and really look at the whole picture, which is so important. Um, are you seeing that that's like a niche thing for you where you are in Australia? Are more doctors and other providers catching on and, and doing similar work there? Yeah, I have a core group of colleagues around Australia that we we have a pretty similar approach for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and, and I think, um, you know, as a dentist that is actually involved with a lot of early interceptive orthodontics and just seeing the babies again as they get older, I think it's a very valuable perspective to really understand uh, what are some of the limitations of tongue tie release and how how much work uh, we still have to put in for some of these children and how much benefit there is when we spend that little bit of time up front, even pre-release, to optimise that outcome, uh, it's valuable because we want to improve that function and the release itself may not necessarily do that. Yeah, yeah. And, and it just, I think, you know, it takes a team most of the time, right? Mm -hmm. There's things sure. that you're going to do and, and, you know, maybe other things and it's, you know, the parents at home, you know, encouraging their child to chew and not eat, you know, purees as much or what have you. Right. So, um, what are some of the, the biggest effects of, of all of this, you know, kind of going unnoticed and untreated in adults, you know, what are, what are the things that, um, you know, I, I think so many people just, you know, we're, we're talking about sleep apnea and we're talking about the jaw growth and, and the need for orthodontics or palate expansion. Are there other things that you're seeing in the adult population that have to do with, you know, not getting things corrected earlier in life? 
Yeah, for sure. The the two most common problems that adults will present with me is uh, either disturbed breathing during sleep or chronic head and neck tension. And so in terms of how those problems develop, well, the breathing, um, if we have a tongue tie, we can still actually compensate. It's still possible to breastfeed. It's still possible to speak. It's still possible to, to do a lot of things and get on with life. However, we actually incorporate a lot of uh, compensations. So we use muscles that we shouldn't really be using, whether it's our lips and cheeks, our, our jaw, our neck muscles as well. And so what this means is that the tongue is not developing its proper tone. And it may not necessarily rest correctly during sleep when all our muscles are relaxed. And so when our tongue rests low, we're going to have increased risk of mouth breathing and and obstructive breathing. And so a lot of adults now are understanding, oh, tongue tie could be implicated. So they, they come to me with those disturbed breathing problems. But the other thing is that when we overuse our, our neck muscles, um, what actually happens is we can develop these tight bands or trigger points and, and we get this chronic tension in our neck and shoulders. But it can also refer pain to our head. And so there's a lot of uh, patients with these chronic tension headaches or chronic headaches and even migraine-like symptoms that can be attributed to this dysfunction. And if we can get the tongue working better, quite often we will actually see improvements or alleviation of these headaches where people have gone for decades, you know, getting acupuncture and physio or chiro and all these other treatments, it can be related to oral dysfunction and the increased compensation by other muscles. So I I, I really enjoy seeing those, being able to not seeing them. It's quite despairing, to be honest. Uh, it, it, it can make life miserable, but to be able to help them towards uh, the myofunctional therapy and getting their tongue to work better and the release to be able to free them up of some of this chronic tension. I think that is a, one of my uh, most rewarding aspects of being involved in this. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I had an opportunity to sort of see for myself earlier in my career and um, a colleague of mine was, um, you know, had just kind of, you know, finished her training on how to do, um, you know, releases of ties and she was looking for some guinea pigs. And I was like, let's do it. You know, pretty sure I have one. I mean, I've, you know, learned enough about this that, you know, um, I didn't have sleep apnea. I wasn't really a snorer, but I definitely had some, you know, crowding, right. Narrow palate, the things of that nature. And yeah, she released my tongue tie. I sat up and I felt like my shoulders were so low, like it was uncomfortable, like as if I had dropped them and I needed to like hold on to them. It was, it was, that's the only way I could describe it was like, they just felt so loose and unstable really. Uh, and I was going, oh my goodness. I just, you know, a lot of people say, oh, it's, it's stress. You know, I, I grind my teeth cause it's stress. Well, maybe you'd be less stressed if you breathe better. Right. Like, <laughs> and, and I just felt like, oh, and then I remember the next thing, you know, my shoulders were so low. Like it was weird for me to drive home after that. Like, I just remember going, this is so, I feel so relaxed. Like I just had somebody, I don't, I don't know, it was magic. Had, had you done a lot of body work in preparation? Well, I, you know, I had because I had, I had gotten, you know, I'd referred for body work. I worked um, with a body worker. And so, yeah, I was getting my own body work done pretty consistently. Yeah, so I'm yeah. sure that's probably why I had like a really good, you know, kind of instant result. And then I followed up with lots of body work too. The tension wants to come back, right? My muscles are like, oh, wait, wait, no, no, no. We're used to being in this position. Um, but then I also just felt like I took the first deep breath I had ever taken in my life. I just remember that just going... Wow, everything was just so open and easy and air flowed so freely. And it just was like, wow, it was unnecessarily hard for me mm -hmm. for those years. And that's me as, you know, somebody in their early 30s going through that and just going, oh my goodness. It was to experience that myself. You know, I had seen the results with infants, right? I had been working with them, but to go through that and really feel what a difference it made in my own body. Yeah, I, it was it was full circle. I understood everything that you're talking about, and I'm not saying everybody should go get a tongue tie release and then you know go experiences for yourself. But like, if it's impacting you, go do it. But like, 
it was, it was really crazy to me. Just, I had no idea. Right. I think we go through life and it's just how it's always been since we were in utero and you do this work that is life changing for people. I mean, they must be like, wow, you know, thank you so much because I've been suffering all this time. And I've, like you're saying, I've tried acupuncture, I've tried medications, I've tried all these things and nothing has really kind of helped. And here, here you are going, well, here's why. And we can fix that. That's so cool. It, it, it is cool. It's like a literal release of a person. Um, and and for instance, I, I had this one lady, uh, one of my favorite ones to think of. Um, she, she'd been seeing a psychologist every week for 10 years um, for depression. And as soon as she had that, she just said, I feel so free. She didn't even have to see anyone. They discharged her. Uh, so it isn't, uh, we shouldn't really underestimate the 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 impact that it has. Uh, I don't want to overpromise anything either, but yeah, for sure. I think it's a tiny piece of string, but yes, it can create lots of things that we don't even recognize could be better. Yes, it's so true. And yeah, I'd, you know, all of this knowledge is and more and, and the way you've explained it is in this wonderful book that you've written, which I just love. I've read so many books on Tung Tai. Um, I think I've hopefully been caught up and read them all. I've gotten mm-hmm. some obscure things off of eBay. Like it's <laughs> anything I could find, good or bad. Um, and it's called Breathe, Sleep, Thrive. And uh, I just... What I love about your book is that one, it's not too crazy long. So for people that are like, oh, I don't like to read, you know, well, there's, you know, organized in chapters and sections and headings, and you can skip to the part that you want to read about, which is really nice. But you do a really good job of just explaining all of this, tying it all together, um, going way more in depth than what we're talking about here, but it's easy to understand. Um, I'm curious what really prompted you to even write the book? Because obviously you're like a dentist by trade. You're not an author by trade. So something there sparked that in you. Yeah, there are so many things that get missed or dismissed. And uh, it's really hard to connect the dots for people. Like as a general dentist, I you know, before I got more restricted in my practice to this type of area, seeing people and seeing all these things and not being able to share that information in a very succinct way. It's not really a quick conversation, but I did want people to recognize that the way the jaws develop is really important. It affects the way that we breathe and our whole mood, emotional regulation, our health. And there are things that we can do early to actually uh, help develop the jaw as well or get things back on track. And how do we have this conversation? Uh, It's much easier to just do it in a book. Uh, And so then (laughs) they can actually take it home and process it. Is it it like a prerequisite to book an appointment with you? Just like, hey, read my book first and then we'll talk. (laughs) I I want to make it. But but nowadays, you know, a lot of people come in specifically for this. So yeah, I do think that people can tick a lot of uh, things and they can recognize these patterns and see how things are integrated and see how it's it's multifactorial. We cannot just see one person. We often require a whole team approach. Yes, I, I love that. And what I find refreshing about what you wrote is that, you know, it talks about you know, breastfeeding, it talks about speech, it talks about obstructive sleep, it talks about all ages, um, various circumstances of things. And what I also really appreciate about it is that um, I'll admit I was worried because I've read enough books on this that some of these things are, are presented as like it's it's good information. It's a lot of information. I'm not saying that other people haven't written about this and you know, they're not wrong what they're saying, but sometimes I come away from these, these works and go, that's a lot. Like that is a lot for the average person. You're like, if you're going to do, if you're going to address everything this person is saying in this book, it's a lot and it's overwhelming. And I, I can see how many people would go, yeah, that's not going to happen. Like I I can't commit to doing all of the things or or completely, you know, I'm not going to do breath work for the rest of my life, or I'm not going to do whatever, right? Like, and what you do is really present these things and all of the nuances and, you know, like what you're saying, we're trying to get improvement, right? It doesn't have to be perfection. And sometimes 
when there's books about various health concepts, it's like we're trying to present like what's the ideal, optimal, you know, state of perfection. And I think that that just leads so many people to disappointment. And I don't, I don't like that. So I was so glad when I started reading your book that you don't do that in it because it's like, okay, you maybe don't have to do every single thing. Like so many people will chase these, you know, every solution. I've seen 10 different people to address this. And I'm not saying you don't need that many people, but like it's rare, right? Like let's, let's try to get you the best improvement we can without going crazy and doing like all these other things. Um, and so I really have to say thank you for doing that because that's a big thing for me as a lactation consultant. When I work with a breastfeeding family, you know, this mom, she's postpartum, she's, you know, transitioning into motherhood. She's struggling with breastfeeding. She's probably sleep deprived. She doesn't need to have this massive checklist of things to do to make sure that her baby is, you know, okay. Right. <laughs> like, so anyway, it was a breath of fresh air because yeah, yeah, I would encourage people to read it and and go, oh yeah, this makes sense. And here's the things I need to know as opposed to kind of like, you must do all of these things if you want to be healthy. Absolutely, Jacqueline. And, and that also brings me to this point about breastfeeding uh, because I think the people that feel particularly guilty about not breastfeeding are those people that didn't get the right support. They wanted to breastfeed, but they couldn't get the right answers. And so really the book is also about explaining that these are the factors. This is why breastfeeding uh, matters. But if we miss that boat, how do we reverse that? How do we actually get things back on track uh, to know that there's like lots of different opportunities if we actually know what to look for and, and what else we can do? Yes. Oh, it's such a valid point. And also just, I'm curious because you're so involved in this work and you're really a, a leader in this field. Where do you see things progressing in the future? Um, because I think there's a lot of changes to be made. We obviously need more people to to learn the things that you've taken it upon yourself to learn and get educated and trained on. Um, you know, I, I, yeah. Any any predictions or hopes or things that you would like to see change um, in healthcare in general or just related to these issues? Well, I do think we're seeing a lot of integration uh, between specialties, like my colleague, ENT colleague, just on the weekend organized a meeting with the, the ENTs that had many, many dentists come along. So 360 people in nice. Malaysia, just all having these great conversations about how can we integrate together to develop better airways and, and pay attention to nasal breathing as a key pillar of health rather than having to manage these problems down the track. So I think number one is integration. But number two, what I'd really love to see is uh, a, an approach to orthodontics where we're actually focusing not so much on the teeth, but to develop those jaws early, because when we develop the jaws early, we're going to get better breathing and sleep. And it's particularly important for young children uh, to, to do this. So I don't think we need to set a, an age limit of let's start treatment at seven to eight. Uh, we are seeing more and more people interested in having their child treated uh, while they they still have their baby teeth. So I think what needs to happen is we need more and more professionals becoming confident in dealing with this issue because it's very impactful. It's something as a professional I was quite scared to do. Um, six years ago, I think it was, or seven years ago, I did my youngest daughter at age six. And even that was a big, scary thing because we're taught you don't start till seven to eight. And now I do three and a half, four-year-olds. So I think I'd like to see that shift because it's very impactful. The, the breathing, even speech, uh, for sleep, just helping children get their most restorative sleep rather than uh, if they have these ADHD or behavioral problems, uh, really how, what else can we offer them to help them get a better night's sleep? I think um, that's a really impactful thing and, and a change that's slowly happening as well. Yes. Oh, I, I agree. And, you know, as I'm listening to you say that, it occurred to me that I've never once had a pediatrician. Now, it's not like I've seen a million of them, but I certainly know a lot of them and, and have worked with them. They don't seem to ask the question of the parents like, hey, have you seen a pediatric dentist yet? Like there's so there's still such disconnected professions, right? And I'm going, I, I've absolutely encountered people in the wild, as I like to say, where they're like, oh yeah, you know, all of a sudden my kid's three and I just realized I've never taken them to the dentist. Because it didn't occur, they they didn't have to early on, right? Um, although we could argue they might, you know, it'd be a good idea, but 
they're thinking, oh yeah, well, you know, now I need to get my kid, you know, cleaning, regular cleanings and all of this, you know, and that's what it becomes about. But I'm going, but why didn't the pediatrician make sure that you were going as soon as the baby's first tooth erupted, you know, at least, or, or asking, you know, have you scheduled that? Um, because if we did that, even, I think it would be great. Right. And I'm not saying all dentists are, you know, going to know all these issues that you're describing, but, you know, we'd probably get things caught a lot earlier, especially when, I mean, it's, I don't know if it's like that in Australia, but absolutely in the U S I've heard many people say, um, or they're, they're somehow being told that you don't need to take your child to a dentist until age three. Well, there's a lot that's happened by the time they're three, like you're saying. So I would, I would love to see more people doing that. So if you're listening and you haven't brought your little one to the dentist, uh, it might be a good idea. That's what I would say. <laughs> Preferably an airway focused one, if you can, because that would be wonderful. So, well, you're in Australia and I know we have a fair amount of Australians that live, um, listen to the podcast. You're in Perth, you said, um, where can people find you connect with you if they want to see you? Um, yeah, we'll link up, you know, your information in our show notes to make it handy and accessible as well, but you could just give us a quick overview. Okay, my website is drshereenlim.com.au. Uh, and in terms of social media, I am more active on Facebook. So I've got a page, Dr. Shereen Lim, and I try to post a lot of different cases and 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 patient stories as well. Oh, that's wonderful. I, I love that. Thank you so much for yes. sharing your wisdom, your expertise with us today. And thank you for writing this excellent book. Um, so for anyone who wants to get um, her book. It's available on Amazon. You can do a paperback, Kindle, and maybe one day coming soon an audiobook. Uh, I don't know. We'll yeah, definitely. See. I will have to look at it. It's getting more and more difficult to ignore those requests. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Well, yeah. you are just such a wealth of knowledge and expertise and you're doing great work. I appreciate you being here with us today. No, thank you so much for having me. It's great to reconnect again. Thank you, Jacqueline. Yes, you're welcome. Did you know most moms stop breastfeeding in the first month postpartum? I believe succeeding at breastfeeding means having the right mindset. In fact, studies show that the number one factor that determines breastfeeding success is commitment, which is why I've created my incredible audio download of breastfeeding affirmations where I give you actionable mantras so you can breastfeed your baby with confidence and peace of mind. And best of all, it's free. To get access to this audio and PDF, simply visit holisticlactation.com slash mantras, and you can get started right now.